0: Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peak's downloadable messages and podcast. Uh, God, what a great day out there, isn't it? It's just uh, so beautiful. Hey, you know, last night I had someone ask me, now, where's this picnic at next month, this, you know, Kids Future Now? And if you're new here... <clears throat> in Rocky Peak. Right, if you if you continue up the road, Santa Susana Pass Road. Just uh, instead of turning into the church, just keep going up. A, I don't know about a quarter mile or something on the left. There's a, a piece of property we call it Kids Future Now, and uh, and so that's where we, we do these kinds of picnics. And there's about ten acres there, at a baseball field, and so on. So if you're new, and uh, we always put on our on our um, information, we'll say it's at Kids Future Now, and people are like, well, where's that? So um, so we'll need to come up with a new strategy, but. Um, Anyway, so how many of you are going to like a uh, Memorial Day picnic or party like either today or tomorrow? How many of you are are doing that? Okay, how many of you are just celebrating in absolutely no way? Just kind of, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, great, great, welcome. Okay, pretty exciting. All right. Yeah, we had uh, had a block party at our house. Not at our house, but at our block <laughs> last night. And uh, at the service, so it's good to, to meet some of the neighbors and hang out and so on. But uh, my name's Pastor Mike, and inside of your bulletin is a, a white message note sheet. And if this is your very first time here. A special welcome to you. We're so glad you're here, and uh, we just hope you enjoy the service with us today. At this time in the service, we always do a time of significant teaching in God's Word because we believe that God's Word is a path to life. It changes us, and it's powerful in our lives. And so we are currently in the midst of a series called The Message um, and the... And the movement, and it's a, it's a, it's a, a series, it's a long series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous uh, sermon ever given in the history of the world. It's uh, probably the most influential speech ever given in the history of the world, and it's where Jesus lays out kind of his message and his movement. So, if you're you're new here, welcome. We're in chapter five of Matthew, if you have a Bible. So, let me uh, let me pray together, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in our church, and what you want to do today. and God, we're here because we want to meet with you. We're hungry to meet with you. We're hungry to hear from you. Lord, we're your followers. We want to know what does that look like? What does it look like to follow, be a part of this movement that you launched 2,000 years ago? And so we pray that as we come today, Lord, and talk about this important topic of integrity and and how critical it is to our relationships and how critical it is to our walk with you, you'd help us to to do some honest self-evaluation and just be prepared to grow. We pray you'd speak to us by name and you'd point out in our areas of our life, okay, here's where it is. Here's where our growth edge is in this area. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday in Jerusalem. Two days before, Jesus had come, into the, uh, come in riding on a donkey. The crowds were going crazy. And two days from now, it will be a Thursday. And on that Thursday, Jesus will be arrested and the charges will be treason. But this is Tuesday. The crowds are going crazy. Jesus' popularity is going through the roof. But not everyone's excited. Tensions are mounting. Some of the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders, are upset. And it's bringing together strange partners, strange bedfellows. And so it's bringing together, in this case, two groups of Jewish leaders behind the scenes. Two groups that normally don't get along. Two groups that normally would not hang out with one another. One group we're familiar with. We've heard a lot about them in this series. They're the Pharisees. They're the people that are the religious conservatives. They're extremely patriotic. They love their country. They hate Rome. They're waiting for a day when the, when the uh, Messiah will come and kick out the Roman Empire. They hate Jesus for a variety of reasons. The other group, though, is a group that we seldom hear about in the New Testament. They're a group called the Herodians. The Herodians were the collaborators. They were Jewish leaders that kind of said, you know what, Rome's in power, we need to cooperate, like the, much like in Nazi Germany, they'd be the collaborators. And in the same way that the patriotic people in Germany kind of hated the collaborators or in the different countries around them, the same thing would, was, was true there. And so you had the Herodians and you had the Pharisees and they didn't get along. They were on opposite sides of the aisle in Congress, if you know what I'm saying. And, and so, but on this particular day, they were hunched together in a back room trying to figure out a way how to bring Jesus down because that's one thing that they agreed on. And they, they came up with one idea. They came up with another idea. They're trying to figure this out. What can we ask him that will put him in a, an impossible situation? How can we trap him? And they finally came up with their idea. They thought they had it perfectly. The issue was taxation. They decided that that this would be a perfect uh, issue. They could go to Jesus and they could ask him out in public in front of everyone, hey, as, as good Jews who are committed to the God of Israel, should we pay taxes to the Roman emperor? And the truth of the matter is they didn't really care which way he answered. This wasn't about getting an answer. This was about trapping Jesus because if he said, yes, you should pay the taxes, he would get, uh, be at odds with so many in the crowd who hated Rome. He would lose their popular support. But if he said, no, you shouldn't pay your taxes, he would open himself, himself up to charges of treason. In fact, in two days, he would be arrested and prosecuted on charges of treason. So this was a very real danger. So they came up and they thought, yes, that's it. That's the perfect plan. That's the perfect question. This will put him in an impossible situation. And so they're ready to go, but they, they come up with one last thing. Hey, let's not go. The Pharisee says, let's not go as ourselves. He might recognize us. Let's send some of our disciples. Let's send some of our younger students, fresh, fresh, you know, fresh-faced, uh, uh, you know, eager disciples. Maybe Jesus will let his guard down. He'll even be more honest than he normally is. And so sure enough, these young disciples, these young disciples of the Pharisees, they come with the Herodians, and they get to Jesus, but they don't just launch into the question. No, they try to set him up even more. They said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. We know that about you. Everyone knows that about you. You're not a man who changes your story based on the audience. You're not a politician. You don't say one thing with this group and one thing with that group. You are a man who teaches the way of God in truth. You speak the truth. You don't change who you are to fit your audience. And so having said that, we have a tough question for you. And they ask their question, should we pay taxes to Rome? Today we enter into or continue on this section of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been in the last few weeks. If you've been here, you, knew, you kind of know the score. You know how this goes. Jesus is doing a teaching in the Sermon on the Mount on what it looks like to live life the right way. What he's told us, if you and I want to be part of his kingdom, part of his movement, that our righteousness, our rightness, the way we do life the right way, that it needs to be better, higher than the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees. He said their righteousness, the way they did life, it was very religious. It was very superficial. It wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. He says that if you're going to be my followers, you you have to do better than that. I want to teach you how to live life on a higher level. A way that's higher, that's deeper, that's richer than fuller than you've ever been taught before. And then he launches in. And he's going to tell us' he's going to give six examples of what it looks like to live life that way. Now we've covered three, right? We've covered um, anger, and then we talked about sex. and then we talked about marriage. Well, today we come to the fourth issue, and the issue is integrity. He wants to talk to us about the whole issue of integrity. Now, to understand this issue, before we jump into the actual text, you have to understand a little bit about the background what's going on in Israel. Um, Jesus is going to talk to us today about taking oaths, like you you swear an oath, like when you go to Congress or you go before a a judge. He's going to talk to us about taking oaths, and this was very common in Israel. You know, if someone, if you you told someone you're going to do something, or you said something was true, and they didn't believe you, you take an oath. I swear by God, I swear by the God of Israel, or whatever, you, you take an oath. Now, we understand this, right? Because we did this as little children, right? You remember that? You're on the playground, and you tell someone something's true, and they don't believe you. And so what do you do? You, you take an oath. You, you swear, right? Like, like, what's an example? Okay, scouts honor. Okay, scouts honor. Okay, we're in. We're good. That's good. Right, thanks, Cliff. Okay, what else? What's that? Cross my heart. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's say it together, right? Let's, all right, one, two, three. I cross my heart. I hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye, right? See, we're all raised the right way. This is the religion of America. I'm telling you right here. Yeah, and so, and once you would do that, I was talking to my assistant, and she said, Oh, yeah, we would do the pinky swear. Some of you girls do that, hopefully, not the guy. So, but once you do that, it's like that settles all, that settles everything, right? Okay, man, you're telling the truth, man. You crossed your heart, you hope to die. This is serious. Well, this is the same way it was in Israel, but they would take a little bit more serious, those. But uh, and, and the Old and it was fine. In the Old Testament, it was totally fine to do that. Uh, it, was, it was legal to do that. It was fine with God to do that. The only thing the Old Testament said is, if you take an oath before the Lord, you better keep it, okay? So Jesus comes along, but when, by the time Jesus gets here, the religious leaders, as they often had, had really polluted and twisted these customs. And what they had done is the whole purpose of an oath is to build relationship, Right? It's to create trust between two people. It's to say, hey, I might not normally be an honest person, but in this case, I am, right? That's the whole purpose of an oath is to say, I'm telling the truth, you can trust me. The purpose of an oath is to create relationship and trust. What the religious leaders had done, though, is they had twisted it. Here's what they were teaching. They were teaching that, oh, not so fast. Not all oaths are binding, if if you take an oath and you use certain magic words, oh, it's binding. But if you if you carefully choose your words, it's not binding. It's almost the equivalent. Remember, when you're a kid, you put your fingers behind your back, right? Yeah, okay, but I, I I said that, but I had my fingers behind my back, so it doesn't really count. And this was the kind of mentality. And so they they were teaching that that okay, there's certain oaths that count, but like if you swear by God, oh, that's you, you know that's serious you swear by the temple? It sounds serious. I swear to you by the temple. It's like the religious, oh, that one doesn't really count. And they had all these little rules of which words counted and which words didn't. And so the whole purpose of an oath was to create trust between people. It was actually becoming a way to deceive people, right? Let me give you an example. Let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew 23. Now in Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and it's really kind of a rip chapter. He's just ripping on them for a whole chapter. It was not a good day to be a Pharisee that day. And we're we're breaking into the the middle of this rip fest. And in verse 16, um, he says, Woe, which is not a good thing. So he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, blind guides. Now, whenever Jesus starts a conversation that way, you know it's not gonna be a good conversation. So he says, woe to you blind guys. He said, um, here's your here's her example. He says, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. Okay? So I, I come to you and I say, hey, I swear to you, I will pay you everything I owe you by next month. In fact, I swear by the temple of God. Hey, and the guy goes, wow, okay, good. The Pharisees are going, ha, <laughs> that one didn't really count. That was really clever. Really didn't count. No, the temple didn't count. He says, um, but if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, oh, I swear to you by the gold in the temple, oh, now it counts, you see. And this was just one example of many, many examples. I mean, there was long lists and long teachings of which ones counted and which ones didn't. So here's what's going to happen. In the Sermon on the Mount today, Jesus is going to talk to us about oaths. But the real issue is not just oaths. The real issue is integrity, okay? And here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, it doesn't matter when you take an oath. When you swear to someone to do something, it doesn't matter what you swear by. Because anything you choose, you're touching something God created, someplace God is, So it doesn't really matter whether you swear by the temple or gold. It doesn't really matter because God created that temple, you know. So if you swear by heaven, that is like God's throne. That's where God lived. And if you swear by earth, it's his footstool. And if you swear by this great city of Jerusalem, that's his city. And in fact, if you swear by the hair on your head, he says, guess who owns that hair? God owns that hair. You can't even turn your hair black or white. You can't even color your hair, not permanently. (laughs) No permanent color here, right? And so he says, says, as a matter of fact, as my followers, I don't want you to take oaths at all. Now, hopefully I'll talk about this later, if I remember. (laughs) But if I don't, I don't think this means at all about, hey, you never like go to law court and take it. Some Christians have understood it that way. We'll talk about why not later. But he says, as my followers, a general rule, I don't want you to take oaths in your life. In fact, I want you to be such an honest person that when you say something is true, it is true. And when you say it's false, it is false. And if you say you'll do it, you're going to do it. And if you say you're not, you won't. He said, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. He says that anything else comes from Satan himself. Right? So let's take a look at what he says. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 5, and this is the fourth issue, and you remember how they start. Every time, he's giving us four, uh, six examples of what does this really look like to live life the right way, the way he would live it. And each time he says, in the past, this is what you've been taught, but I'm teaching you something new. So here we go, uh, verse 33. Again, you've heard it said, it was said to the people long ago. Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you made to the Lord. Now, this is not a specific statement in the, from the Old Testament. It's sort of like a, a synthesis statement. It's kind of a, a summary statement. If you were to take all the, the teaching in the Old Testament law about oaths, let's kind of sum it up, all right? So that he says, in the past, you were told basically don't break your oath and keep an oath that you made to the Lord. He says, but I tell you, do not swear at all. Either by heaven, why? Because it's God's throne. Don't swear by earth, why? Because it's his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. So it's simply, here's what I want you to do. Simply let your yes be yes. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Keep your commitments. Right. Your let your yes be yes, and your no be no, and anything beyond this, it comes from the evil one. Later on in John chapter 8, Jesus will say that Satan, he gives him a title, the father of what? The father of lies. So what Jesus is saying is in, any time in our life when we say we'll do something and we don't do it, when we say something is true and it's not true, when we twist the truth, when we manipulate the truth, when we exaggerate the truth, when we shade the truth, he says, actually, that's not coming from the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, that's coming from Satan's leading in your life, you see? And so today, we want to talk about this whole topic of integrity. I think it's one of the most important topics we could talk about. Let me tell you why. If we're gonna be followers of Jesus, if we want to be part of his movement, if we want to live life a new way, if we want to live life the right way, the way that he would live it, I don't know if there's a more important quality that we could talk about than integrity. Because integrity is the basis of all human relationship. Without integrity, it is impossible to have functional, positive relationships. So if we're serious about loving God, and loving people, Jesus said all the commands are under that. There is no important thing than to be a person of integrity, all right? Now, what, having said that, though, there's a question of, well, what does integrity mean? What does that look like? What does it look like to be a person of integrity? How would I even know if I am a person of integrity? How would I evaluate that? And so in the time that we have today, what I want to do is ask three very simple but profound questions, and I'd like you to do some self-evaluation for your own life. It's, no one else is gonna be uh, judging you on this or no one else is gonna be grading you. It's just a question in your own life. I, I think what you'll find is there's some things you're doing really well and you're gonna say, man, I'm right on track there. There's maybe a other couple things that might, might the Holy Spirit just might kind of nick you. You know, it's like, hey, you know, this is for you. But I can listen up here, all right? And so we can all grow in the area of integrity, right? So uh, so there in your notesheet, you have a section, uh, integrity, what's it look like? And you have, um, it's, it's a, self, uh, a self, quick self-evaluation, and so a quick self-inventory. And so we're going to have three simple questions, and let's just run through this and see how we're doing in this area of integrity. Number one, the first question is, do I tell the truth, and here's the important part, always. Hey, do I tell the truth, and Always. The first building block of integrity is simply truth-telling. Now, here's what I found. That most of us will tell the truth most of the time. But that's really not what integrity is about. Integrity is about telling the truth when there's a cost involved. Integrity is about telling the truth when if I tell the truth, there's going to be a price to pay. And the only way, whether we know whether we have integrity or not, is what we do in those times. In other words, to tell the truth, 90% of the time is 10% short, right? Now, we'll talk, we'll talk more about it. Now, why is this? This is incredibly important because if you want to live relationships at the, at the higher level, if you want to follow Jesus, you want to do life the way Jesus wants us to live it, there's no more important quality than integrity because integrity is the foundation of relationships. And and all all you have to do to realize this is think back into your life where a time where someone that you trusted lied to you. They shaded the truth, they exaggerated, they, they blew something out of proportion, they changed the facts. And if you can remember back to that relationship, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a spouse, Maybe it was an ex-spouse. Maybe um, it was a, a, a fellow employee or a boss. And, and they told you something that wasn't true. And you thought you had a good relationship to that point, right? And you thought you were doing well. And you, you trusted them. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden one day you found out that something they told you, they had intentionally misled you. Can you kind of picture that? And hey, Most of us have a situation like that in life. Now what does that do? The moment that that happens. It like takes the relationship and it breaks it, doesn't it? It's broken. Because here's the fact, here's the truth. The fact is, is that if I can't trust you all the time, the reality is I can't trust you any of the time, right? And you say, well, can that relationship ever be mended? Yes, it can, but it takes a long time and a lot of hard work, doesn't it? Once a relationship's broken, because here's the thing, there is, uh, truth is the key to trust in a relationship. And, w- and without trust, there is no relationship. So Jesus comes to us and says, as my followers, I want you to be like me. Now think about this. When it comes to Jesus, when he tells you something is true, is he usually telling the truth? <laughs> now, think about this, that in our lives, we bank our life on Jesus, Right? We are trusting that he is always telling the truth. We are trusting that this is a man who never told a lie, that he will never tell us a lie, you see? And that's why we can trust Jesus with our lives. He says, okay, you want to be like me? You want to grow up and be like me? Then here's an area. You need to be a person like me. You tell the truth all the time. There's a great quote there by a lady named Cheryl Beale on your note sheet that says, one of the realities of life is if you can't trust a person at all points you can't trust him at him or her at any point, right? Okay, so, so let me give you some examples. Let me, let me just give you some examples of, of kind of as you're thinking through your own life, two or three examples where I think we're often tempted, and, and like I said, I would guess that most of this room tell the truth most of the time. I would guess that. But I would guess for many of us, there are certain situations that we don't, Okay. And let me let me throw out kinds of situations. Here would be one when you get in trouble. this is where many of us the moment we get in trouble, where like say tr- if I tell the truth, of this job situation would actually happen, I, mean, I could lose my job or I could get demoted or whatever uh, situations where we 're facing trouble for, for the truth, where the truth means trouble <laughs> that 's an area where, where often we will compromise uh, here 's another one in, in situations of conflict. This is what I've often seen, I've often seen this with with people who love the Lord who are Christians, I've often seen this, that in conflict situations, there is something about our background or the way we're raised or uh, kind of our insecurities that often you'll see a person that that 99% of the time you can trust them in the midst of a conflict situation in the midst of their fear and defensiveness, they will get up and they will change the story of what actually happened. Uh, some of you may have experienced this, like in a, in a close friendship or a marriage, and, and you're having conflict in the midst of your your, your your debate. Have you ever had that temptation or given into it? Like you kind of change. That's not what happened. You, you change the story. You're arguing over the past. And you change the story of what actually happened. Well, what happens that there is no ability to resolve conflict in a marriage unless there's a high commitment to integrity in the couple, right? They have to be willing to be honest about what they said, what they did, what they meant. And yet so many times in the midst of conflict, we will cop out and we will exaggerate, we will change. And what that does is we can not, that marriage can never get healed, you see, if we're not playing honestly, right? Um, another example, sometimes we're, um, we're tempted, I think, to compromise this whole area of uh, truth telling is where... If we, if we tell it, there will be um, kind of a cost or, or a loss to us. Uh, you know, I heard a funny story years ago. You probably some of you have heard this. But there's a guy, and, and he goes to church, and, and he hears his sermon. The pastor's preaching on Psalm 51 and 52. And chapter 51 is about God, how God knows our hidden secrets. Chapter 52 is about how God hates deceit. This guy goes home, and he's just so convicted because he's been underreporting his, uh, his income to the IRS. And so for two weeks, he can't sleep. And finally, he gets so convicted, he writes a letter. and says, Dear IRS, as well as you know that, that I've been cheating on my taxes. I feel so badly about it that I can't even sleep at night. So here, I've been closing a check for $1,500. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. Hmm. Hmm. And so many times we do that, don't we? It's like, okay, you know, it's like, wow, if I tell the truth, you know, if I, if I tell in this business deal, if I tell them, hey, we really can't deliver this product for six months, if I tell them that, they're not going to buy from me. You know, if, I, if it's really going to be eight months, I, I got to tell them it's six. Or, you see what I'm saying? So often this is what happens is that we will get ourselves in a situation because of conflict or because of a cost to us or because of a pain in our life or a fear, we will, will cop out. And I think this is very common. It's very common. And what Jesus says is if you want to live life at a higher level, if you want to experience relationship, then you have to start by being a man or woman of truth. Always. You can take it to the bank. Let your yes be a yes, your no be a no. Number two. Oh, well, before we go on, let's hit that quote there. Uh, Pat Williams is a senior executive vice president of the Orlando Magic. You know, it's an NBA team. He's, he's a Christian man, and he wrote this book called The Magic of Teamwork. But I, I clipped out this quote years ago. He says, honesty and integrity are not matters of degree. You're either committed to being truthful and real, or you're not. If you're fairly honest, then let's face it, what you're really admitting is that you are dishonest. As Tom Peters said, he's a business writer, as Tom Peters said, there is no such thing as a minor lapse of integrity. I'm not saying it's possible to be perfect, but an honest person sets a conscious goal of perfect truthfulness. And when you fail to keep that goal, hey, just be honest about it, right? And so sometimes we may have to go back, and you know, this is a hard thing. Uh, for, for, for some of you here, you were raised in a home where there was a high standard of integrity and this has just kind of been built into your life and you're, you're going over this one and you're just like, you're glad I'm teaching on it and guess the world needs to hear this, you know, but you're doing a pretty well and, and, and you had that benefit but you know, for a lot of you, you, didn't, you weren't raised as followers of Jesus or you didn't grow up in, a, in a, very, a home where integrity was a high value. And so what was modeled to you is all your whole life is you tell the, you tell the truth normally. But in a jam, you tell a lie. You shade the truth. And if that's your story, here's what I want you to catch. As a follower of Jesus, this is an important hurdle for you to climb over. This, you need to set the bar higher you need to hold yourself accountable. And one way to do that, here's a very helpful thing, is that if you find yourself that you've lied in a situation, this, is, this will help you to grow more than any other. Just go to the person and say, you know what? I said this. It was not the truth. I apologize. And let me, and let me tell you, that will provide motivation for you to begin changing that standard because it's very awkward and very uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> very hard to go and say, you know what? I told you that it would be there on Monday, that wasn't really the truth. I knew it wouldn't be there on Wednesday. I was afraid that you might cancel the deal. Um, I want to apologize for that and make a commitment to you that I will tell you the truth. On this, I will not exaggerate. And boy, if we know that's coming, then it's like, okay. And so this is a huge issue, right? It's a huge issue for us. And And, and it might seem like a minor issue, but let me tell you something. Sooner or later, a lack of truth-telling will destroy relationships. And the deeper, the closer the relationship, the more destruction it will bring, right? And so this is critical. Jesus says, I want you to be a person. Yes is yes, and your no is no. Number two. The second question is, do I keep my commitments even when they cost me? Okay, so a first piece of integrity has to do with truth-telling. A second Peace has to do with commitment keeping. When Jesus says, let your yes be yes, it's not just involving truth-telling, it's involving commitment. He says, I want you to be people that say, if you say you will do something, you will do it. I, I don't have to wonder. I don't have to say, well, would you swear to me on the Bible that you will do that? You know? I'll come and teach in your Sunday school class. Great. Could, here's a Bible. Could you swear on that? <laughs> so I make sure you're really going to show up. I mean, after all, this is junior high. <laughs> Not sure you're going to want to. right? Yeah. He says, okay, let your yes be yes. I don't want you to be the kind of people that have to take an oath to prove that you'll do what you say. I want you to be the kind of person that no one, no one needs to hear from you. No, no oath is necessary. All right? So are you a, now? Now this is a key. This is one of the keys to, um, to 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 relationships as well, because there's if you want to do relationships well, think marriage, think friendship, think you know job, whatever. If you want to do relationships well, there's a couple things you have to be able to do. One thing you have to do is you have to be able to make commitments. Have you, some of you are single and you've seen this, where you've dated people and they just are unable to make a commitment. They they get nervous anytime they start in a dating relationship because they're very nervous about making commitments. So the way they keep from breaking a commitment is by never making a commitment. There's other people who you know are quick to make a commitment, but they're also quick to break a commitment, right? So the secret of good relationships is we have to be able to do both sides. We have to be able to make a commitment, and we also have to be able to keep a commitment. And when we can't make commitments and keep commitments, our relationships are going to be always ragged and in trouble. Let me give you an example. Uh, last, uh, about a month ago, J.D. and I, J.D. Cunningham, our new worship pastor, we were going to go to a conference together down in Atlanta. And, uh, and he was flying in from Dallas and I was flying in from L.A. We were supposed to get there exactly the same time, 6.23 p.m. on that uh, Tuesday evening. And so I'm looking forward to seeing J.D. I hit the ground. I, I'm pretty much on time. Uh, and, and I hit the ground and I, I pick up my voicemail and it's from J.D. He's like, hey man, I'm really sorry, but I'm stuck. There's big rain in Dallas and uh, we, I can't get out of the airport. So why don't you go ahead, get your car and everything and get the room set up. And, and so... Um, so I, I go get our car, drive into town and we're staying at this old historic uh, nice hotel down downtown Atlanta and we'd, re- we'd, re- we'd signed up for this, um, this whole trip late and so there was hardly any rooms in Atlanta so we weren't able to get a room together with two beds that first night. We had to get two separate rooms and so I check in and, and about 9 o'clock I get a call from uh, Celeste, his wife and she says, Mike, he's still on the ground in Dallas. And so um, I said, okay, well, I'm going to go out to dinner take a book, have a nice evening, I'll come back and check in. I get back 11 1:30 at night. I get to have a, a, another voicemail from Celeste. Mike, he's still on the ground in in uh, in Dallas. The plane hasn't even arrived from Houston yet, and so um, it's going to be like three o'clock in the morning. So now I'm feeling really bad for JD. I mean, here's this, this guy I'm going to take care of him, and so I decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up to the the counter. Um, it was a nice hotel, remember? You know, marble floors, you know, this beautiful wood. It's a beautiful place, you know, nice place. And and I'm going to just I'm going to put his room on my uh, uh, on my credit card so that when he comes in, he doesn't check in or anything. He's just ready to go because he's gonna be so tired. So I get up there and I explain the situation. They said, "Great." And I get my credit card and they punch it in. As they punch it in, the guy gets sort of a sick look on his face, and he he turns to me. So I, I, now in retrospect, I can see what he's, he's trying to figure out how to tell me this. He says, uh, "Sir." Um, we don't have a room for him. I said, Excuse me. What do you mean you don't have room for him? We don't have room for him. Well, it's impossible. I got a reservation. It's right here. Here's the reservation. They said, I know you have a reservation, but we don't have a room. And so this led to a long conversation. <laughs> and fortunately, I just spoke it on anger the week before. So I did better than normal. And he's like, oh, don't, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, uh, we, we reserved a room for him at the Hyatt six blocks away. Oh, great. So he's going to come in at three in the morning on a taxi, get here at 3.30, and you're going to tell him he doesn't have a room, but that's great because you can take him to the Hyatt. Where you, hopefully they have not messed up too, you know. And so we go through this long, long thing. J.D. ended up arriving at five in the morning, and we ended up, creating a situation in my room so he could stay there so he wouldn't at least have to go somewhere else you know but i asked this person i said how does this happen how does this happen that we have a reservation and i said oh well what happens and this guy probably wasn't supposed to tell me this but it's eleven thirty at night so it's not the you know first shift he says what happens is that sometimes we have guests who are staying here for three or four nights and sometimes they want to extend for an extra night and if so then we let them extend and i said so let me get this straight So you've got someone staying here who doesn't have a reservation for my night and you gave my reservation to him so they could have a room so my guy doesn't have a room. I said, yeah, that's pretty much it. Now now let me ask you something. What do you think that that did to our relationship? (laughs) Do you think I just said, oh, I totally get it. I'm just so thrilled for your your three night stayers. That's just awesome. You're so committed Now, what's it going to do? It's going to cause me the next time, I'll probably never stay at that hotel. We had a beautiful room, beautiful hotel, beautiful. I'll probably never stay there again because because I don't want to take a chance of showing up and then saying, oh, sorry, we made a commitment. We didn't keep a commitment. Now, can I tell you something? This is exactly what happens in our lives. When we show up or we don't show up, and someone says, hey, you made a commitment. And we says, yeah, I know I made the commitment, but I'm not keeping the commitment. What happens is they pull away from us exactly the same way and say, I'm not sure I want to do business with you anymore. Right? That's exactly what happens. And Jesus understands this. That Jesus says, I am a man of integrity. I keep my commitments. Aren't you glad? Right? Aren't you glad? He says, "It's to me, my followers, I want you to be the most responsible, reliable, Dependable people in all of society. I want you to be the people that your handshake's as good as a contract. I want you to be the people that your word is your word. You will do what you say. A person who keeps their, their commitments. And here's the thing: it's especially when they cost us. Because here's what happens: oftentimes we make a commitment thinking the price tag is X, and then after we make the, the commitment, the price tag goes up. And often at that time, here's what we think. We say, well, I made the commitment, but I didn't know it was going to cost me that much. And therefore, I'm out of the contract. Okay? But here's the kicker. No, Jesus says it's especially when you have to keep your commitments when the price tag does go up. This week in your life group homework, you'll study a great example from the nation of Israel, a time where they made a contract that they weren't even supposed to make. But they made a contract The price went up and they honored the contract. They did the right thing, even though it was doing what they weren't supposed to do. Honoring that contract was more important to God even than doing what he originally told them because they they gave their word. You'll study about that. So many times in our life, we get married, for example, and we say for better or worse, and we have an idea of what worse looks like. (laughs) Then the price goes up. Oh, when I said worse, I didn't really mean like worse. <laughs> I meant like worse. I mean, this is worse than worse, <laughs> right? We we, we we make a a, a commitment in, in a business thing or a commitment in a personal relationship or whatever or a, a commitment to a ministry and then our life, oh, well, you know, you see? Jesus, yes, but yes, you know me you now. Great passage in the Old Testament. It's in... Uh, uh, Matthew, I mean, not Matthew, good, very good, Mike. Uh, all these years of seminary, doctorate. Matthew's in the Old Testament. Um, okay, book of Psalms, uh, take two, <laughs> rewind, uh, take two. In uh, uh, Psalm 15, and in fact, I put it there on your note sheet. It's a great passage. David's asking the question, what does it take to have a relationship with God? What kind of person does he want to enter into relationship with? And it says there, Lord, uh, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Here's the answer. He whose walk is blameless and who does what's righteous, and catch this, who speaks the truth from his heart, right? That's point number one. He tells the truth always. Okay. But then go on. Look, look at the next line. Who keeps his oath, let's read it together, even when it hurts. Can we read it again? Let's say it again. Even when it hurts. See? That's what integrity is. Integrity is keeping our commitments even when it hurts. So what's that look like? Just some, some quick questions for you to think through. You know, are you a person, when you tell your kids you'll do something, do you do it? When you make a commitment to your, your spouse or your friends, do, can they, did, would they tell me, if I were to ask them, Mike, if my, my wife tells me something, take it to the bank. My husband tells me something, take it to the bank. They, they, I know I can count on them. Uh, your fellow employees at work, you volunteer for a ministry. Can they count on you to do what you said? Uh, here's one that affects a lot of us. We're in life groups, right? We, at the beginning of every quarter, we sign a 10-week covenant saying, I will come, I'll do my homework. Are, are we people of integrity? Are we keeping that? Um, and it often starts in small things. We, we RSVP, we're coming to a party. Do we show up or do the, the day of, you know? I, it's amazing to me. Those of you who put on weddings, you know this. It's amazing to me. You plan a wedding, like my daughter get wedding. I mean, you, you, know, you have a certain amount of guests you can have. You, you know the, the, the strain and the ordeal of deciding who to invite. You remember that parent, uh, parent of the Bride or the Father of the Bride movie? You know, it's like, yes, they're dead. <laughs> um, and, um, and, you know, you go through this whole strain of this thing. And then, like I know, when our daughter got wedding, it was very typical. you do a lot of weddings, but I knew it would happen. But we had several people, even relatives, that just did not show They said they'd be there, just did not show up. And so there was about fifteen seats. We could have two hundred people in this place. Fifteen seats. We'd spend hours agonizing who to invite and who to you could you could imagine being in the North Coast, knowing five thousand people there were you could imagine how agonizing that was who to pick. And you know it's about fifteen people, a lot of them just family members who just decided, yeah, they said they'd come, they just didn't show up. Right. And and that's very typical. It's very typical. And you know what? As the Christian community, we're often not better. And it's a really sad thing. It's a really sad thing. It starts in the little stuff. You see someone here after church and you say, hey, I'll give you a call this week and we'll we'll set a time to get together. Well, do it. Are we going to do it? You see? Are we going to need people of our word? Why? Because if we can't make and keep commitments, we can't do relationship well. Right integrity it's it's the glue of relationship. Okay, number three. The third question is: Am I living a life of authenticity or hypocrisy? So we've talked about two ingredients of integrity so far. We we've, we've talked about telling the truth. We've talked about keeping our commitments. So the third and critical. Uh, component is authenticity. The opposite is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is about pretending to be something that we're not, right? What does it look like to be a hypocrite? It looks like to be one thing in public and another thing in private. It looks, it looks like one thing to be a at, at church or with Christians, another thing at the office or on the ball field, right? To have kind of two ways that we change who we are to fit our surroundings, Authenticity has to do with being real and genuine. We are who we are. Now, can we admit this is a hard thing to do? This is a hard thing to do, isn't it? All right? And so there's probably a lot of room for growth. But Jesus says that your yes be yes. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22. We started today with this story in Matthew chapter 22 of Jesus and the taxation. And I want to point something out to you in this story. Matthew 22. Start at verse 15. I want you to see what what they said to Jesus and how he responded. In verse 15, it says, The Pharisees went out and they laid plans to, to trap him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. They said, Teacher, we know that you're, catch this, we know, here's what we know about you, Jesus. We know that you're a man of integrity. You might want to underline that word. Well, this is one thing we know about Jesus. You're a man of integrity. What, what does that mean? It means you teach the way of God in accordance with truth, that you aren't swayed by men, right? Here's, that's what integrity is. We're not swayed, by we don't change who we are to fit the audience. And the catch is, you pay no attention to who they are. In other words, Jesus, you're not a person that's going to say one thing in one setting and another thing in another setting. You're not going to be one man here and a different man there. You're a man of integrity, right? You're a person of authenticity. You're the same in all situations. Now, it's interesting because they were banking, right? They were banking on Jesus' integrity to get get him into trouble. They were banking that they put him in an impossible situation, and based on his integrity, they were banking that he would tell the truth and get himself in trouble. So he said in verse 17, so tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he knew what was going on. Look, what, <laughs> True to form, first words out of his mouth are what? You hypocrites. He's always going to tell the truth, isn't he? <laughs> we know you're a man of integrity. You know, I am a man of integrity. You're a bunch of hypocrites. See, hypocrisy has to do with pretending to be something we're not. That's what they were doing. They were pretending they wanted a true teaching from him on whether to pay taxes. They didn't really care. They were pretenders, the great pretenders. And here's the thing. As you study the life of Jesus, what you'll find is there's one kind of person that Jesus has no time for, and it's the hypocrite. In fact, as you study this whole topic of heaven and hell, and we'll do that later in the series as we go through we talk about heaven and hell, what Jesus says. That Jesus often describes hell as the place where the hypocrites are. <laughs> Interesting. He says that, I don't care where you've been or what you've done. If you're willing to come to me and follow me, we'll take care of all that. I don't care about that. But one kind of person I can't deal with is a pretender. And so true to form in this situation, he doesn't deal with them. Here's what he says. They said, should we pay taxes or not? He says, Hey, could anyone got a coin here? Sure, I got one. Here's one. He says, okay, let me see that. He says, whose picture is that on the coin? Oh, it's Caesar. He says, oh, great. Well, here's the answer then. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. Now it was a great answer. Who could argue with that? Some things belong to the government, you give them to them. Some things don't belong to the government, you don't give it to them. Everyone, a perfect answer. But I want you to catch something. He did not answer their question. Because their question is, should I pay taxes? He didn't answer that question. Why? Because Jesus doesn't waste his time with people who are pretending. Never does. He just sidesteps them. I'm not wasting my time. I'm not dealing with you. Right? When you're serious, when you want to follow me, when you want to know the truth, let's come back and let's talk. But in the meantime, you want to play both sides of the fence. You're not being honest with me. You're being a great pretender. I don't have time for you. You see? So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means to be an authentic person. Now, we are all going to struggle with this, right? We are all going to be face times where I know in my own life, I wasn't as bold in this situation as I should have been. Oh, I cared too much what these people thought. We're all gonna, we're all gonna struggle with that, right? But there's a difference, is there not, between that and and being the person who's really playing both sides of the fence? We're coming to church and worshiping Jesus here, and we're going out and partying, getting high over here, right? We're, we're, we're doing, you, you know, that that double standard. We come to church and. And we, we answer the questions in our life group and then we go to business and we do all kinds of unethical things, just living a double life. And Jesus says, no, let your yes be yes. Let your, uh, be a person of your word, be a person of integrity. Don't change who you are to fit your context. One of the core things. There's a great, great, the uh, great story about this in the New Testament. It's in uh, the book of Acts and I'll just tell it. The opening book of, uh, opening five chapters, of the book of Acts, the church is going crazy. The uh, Holy Spirit's come. Uh, people are coming to Jesus right and left. Their lives are being changed. One of the ways that they're being changed is they have a new love for one another and a new compassion. And so what you have is you have people they are actually selling their possessions. They're actually taking real estate in some situations, selling a, a plot of land or, or whatever, and then they're bringing the money to the apostles and s- for the poor people in their midst so they could really love one another in practical ways. There's a beautiful thing. But there's one couple that, decided to play the hypocrite. There are one couple that decided to scheme. And so what they did, they had this piece of property they weren't using, so they went and sold it. They took the the money from it, but they, they kept out part of the money for themselves. And it was totally fine and legal to do this. But they took the rest of the money, they took it to the apostles, and they pretended that it was all the money. So catch this. It was their property beforehand. They didn't have to sell it once they sold it, it all belonged to them, they didn't have to give it all. They could have given half and it would have been a very generous gift, right? So that was no problem. So the problem was not that they didn't give it all, the problem was that they lied about it. Now here's the interesting thing. As you're reading through that story, I think if I'd never read it before, I would expect it to go something like this. And so, so they sold this piece of property, which was an incredible, generous thing to do. And they, they took uh, half the money and they gave it to the apostles, which is a huge sum of money. But they kept half for themselves, but they lied about it. They didn't tell the whole truth. And so I'd expect God to be saying to them, okay, now look, I, I love your generosity, I love this about you. You had this piece of property. You, know, you, you sold the whole piece of property and you gave half of it to Rocky Peak. And that's just, boy, that's really a generous thing. God, God bless you. And God's just like, I'm so proud of you. That's so great, so generous. You didn't have to do that. He says, but could I talk to you about this lying thing? Um, it really wasn't the right thing to do. Could you just maybe apologize to me for it and next time let's get it straightened because that's an area you need to grow. That God would be impressed because they did the big thing giving, selling property, giving it to the poor, and that this other thing would be more of a minor thing. Hey, let's work on that. Some of you know the story. When this husband and wife showed up to the apostles in chapter 5 at two different times of the day, and they both told the same story that was a lie, God struck them dead on the spot. It's one of those stories you read in the Bible, and you go, "Wow!" There's certain stories where God does something in the Bible. And I just go, "Wow!" Like Moses strikes the rock, and oh, he can't go in the Promised Land. It's like, "Wow!" Uh, Uzzah touches the ark, and he drops dead in the Old Testament. Wow! There's certain ones you just go, "Wow!" This is one of those wild stories. You're going, "Wow!" But what it says in the text is that, and the whole church became afraid. <laughs> If there's any verse in the Bible that you could take out and you'd probably be okay, it's probably that one. Right? I think we know that. You know? Uh, yes. Can you imagine the conversation at church that next week in their small group? Hey, did you hear what happened to Ananias? No, what happened? Well, he lied. God struck him dead. You're kidding me. Sapphira too. Really? They're such nice people. <laughs> they were here every week. Who's bringing dessert? And you look at that story and you say, why is this so important? Why was God so harsh? Why was he so severe? And so I thought about this story. Here's what I I think, why? I think because in this new movement that Jesus was launching in the early church, it was a fragile movement. It was powerful, but it was fragile. It was just getting started. And here's the lesson. The lesson is there is no bigger danger, no greater danger to the movement of Jesus than hypocrisy. You think about it. You think about the people in your life that you want to share Jesus with and what is the most common obstacle that you run up against. Hypocritical Christians. right? And so God wants to send a message right at the very beginning. No We don't want hypocrisy. We don't want pretending. And I need to send a message to my movement, hard and fast and furious, that we cannot mess with this. This will destroy us. So what's integrity look like? Three questions. Are we telling the truth? Always. Are we keeping our commitments, even especially, perhaps, when they cost us? And number three, are we living lives of authenticity, or are we living lives of hypocrisy? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, we got to need people of our word. We mean what we say, we say what we mean, we keep our commitments, take it to the bank. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time to talk about these things, God, and for such an important topic, one that is not as obvious, perhaps, and yet so critical and foundational for our relationships Help us to be, Lord, regardless of our past or where we've come from, help us to embrace your newer standards, that we would be people who tell the truth, people who keep our commitments, people who live honest lives, and when we don't, that we just are honest about it. We pray you teach us to be like you, that we would be promise keepers, commitment keepers, true and reliable. We pray this in your name, amen. You know, there's a famous verse that we often quote Especially when we're sharing Christ with a non believer, often we miss the richness of this verse. Something Jesus said about himself, I pray a lot of us know the verse. said, I am the way, I am the, the truth, and I am the life. That, that he is the truth, that Jesus is the truth, that you can always trust him, everything he says is right and true. He will always keep his commitments. He is true to his promises. He is the truth, you see? And he calls us as his followers to be just like him, that we would be people of truth, say what we mean, mean what we say, keep our commitments. Why? So that our relationships can be just as rich and dependable as his with us, you see? May God bless you this week. As you do that self-evaluation and listen to what the Spirit's telling you and take new steps to grow in integrity this week. Next week, we talk about Jesus, love, and revenge. So I hope you can join us. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.